Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes discussing something new and shiny, and our main topic of the week. We would like to begin by thanking you, the listener, for giving us your time to listen to our opinions of the game. On the podcast, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. All right, welcome back to another week of The Danger Room. And this week, um, Sploosh is missing. And uh, this is just by design, actually, for once, that somebody is missing. And um, we have a guest on. Uh, is uh, Sue... Gosh, how do you say your Discord name? Because I'm getting a uh, Suzume Kazo. Is how you say it. Okay. Uh, that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, we're going to call him Leaf. Um and he's been in and out of the other discords as our own and the TTS one. Uh, so, Leaf, uh, how did you get into MCP? Uh, well, I've been playing miniature games for the past just over 20 years. Uh, started off with Confrontation way back, for anyone who remembers that one. Uh, and then... Got into War Machine Hordes for a while, uh, but I might like much smaller model count games, and that uh, kind of, yeah, got to be a little bit more on the table uh, than I like when they started moving to Colossals and giant point totals and all that. Uh, mm. uh, so then I moved on. A bunch of us uh, here in my local uh, discovered Guild Ball, and it was quite white big got very heavy into guild ball for a few years and then uh yeah steam forged uh kind of let it go <laughs> uh but by the time they let it go they would kind of had a couple of years where they were already focusing more on board games and other stuff than guild ball so we were already at the point where it's like ah it's kind of die guild ball is kind of petering out here so we've kind of been on the lookout for a new thing uh, when this got announced, I'm like, oh, yeah, these are guys who know what they're doing. Uh, the models look great. The rules look are checking off pretty much every box I'd like. Uh, and then got it on the table and was like, yeah, okay, I'm sold. A few of the other guys here are sold. Uh, and since then, we've just... Uh, been pushing it as much as we can COVID wise uh, yeah, yeah I'm up in uh, Saskatchewan Canada so not a huge city but uh, uh, our local store already is at the point where they're ordering in 20 or so of each new release and selling out in a week so Commun- wow. local community <laughs> here has grown quite a bit yeah that's 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 massive. <laughs> yeah, well, it helps when you got a big local 40k group and you start some of them going and like, hey, you know, you can get into this cheaper than you can buy, you know, <laughs> some of your 40k <laughs> <Half> boxes. <an laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the fact that it's a great game and the models are amazing, just sort of the game really sells itself once you start getting it on the table. That's awesome. Um so yeah, so Leaf is going to be joining us today for a very special topic that we all hope you enjoy, but we're going to get into 
our usual bits, and uh, we're going to start off with talking about some hot takes. Um, and we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about Sinister's uh, tactic cards because it seems to be really a lot of discussion about them. We kind of wanted to hit our thoughts on that. So we're going to start with Forced Extraction. This is the one where Sinister can pay one and he takes a damage uh, or three up to three allied models take a damage and you can gain one token. Um, my personal opinion is I think that this is probably the card that you will take with Sinister just because it makes him a lot more useful earlier in the game uh, instead of not taking it and having to earn those tokens when you could just definitely build a force easily in Cabal um, with Sabretooth and uh, yeah, Sabretooth with a healing factor. You could also throw Deadpool in if you want or Wolverine. There's a bunch of healing factor op- options now that you can really just have this almost be a no cost besides one power. So I kind of really like this card and I think it really just make sinister a little bit better early game uh jacob what are your thoughts yeah i I completely agree i think this is of the two spoilers i think this is the better card uh i think it's going to turn on a lot of his kit a lot of the problems people have found playing someone like hella is that if you want to commit early to you know go and hold a point or go and grab an extract or something then she hasn't got the souls to really power her her shtick and this feels like this is just going to turn him on and, and really get him going. Uh, there's a lot of people sort of thinking, okay, what about uh, the kind of there's a role in a criminal syndicate roster for a tanky four, and some people like Black Dwarf there, and some people maybe like Black Panther there. Uh, I can see totally going with Sinister and then saying, right, well, I will do a little bit of damage to all my all my guys, some of whom like uh, have got decent health pools, and then have this just massive tank who's now sitting on essentially nine health and go, yeah, come on then, try and take me out. What about you, Leaf? Do you have any thoughts on uh, Force Extraction? Uh, I think it's going to be... It's going to make a lot of difference when you're playing him, if you have it or not, because it turns all his stuff on turn one, because a lot of his kit is locked behind uh, getting sample tokens. If you don't have samples, Mm -hmm. uh, you just can't do stuff. And turn one, you're probably not going to be able to walk them up and line up a great beam. So instead, being able to just be snap your fingers, uh, find some volunteers, (laughs) and be ready to roll. Because turn one with this, you could actually uh, do some bold plays where you move them up uh, maybe a little further than you should, because he's got effectively three extra wounds. Yeah. Right? That makes him nine health on his front side. And nine health is a lot to chew through. So even if you're just like, you know what? R&D yep. a power to him. Have him snap his fingers, walk up, take a center extract. If you don't have somebody who can walk back, Sinister can still be like, well, maybe you can't take me out. Uh, but yeah. It just brings his whole kit online, which goes a long way. Uh, but I think it's one that if you're using it, it's probably going to get burned turn one. There's no saving this for oh, yeah. like no, I, I, big. I don't yeah. see a. Yeah, I don't see a time where you save it for a later turn. I think it's you're going to burn it early, especially if you have those healing factor people. So that way, 
they can get their health back. Um, and then even if you don't, you don't want to be hurting your people beginning their round two when they're about to go fight somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely yeah. think that it's definitely a round one play. Uh, and it's it, again, like like you guys said, it, it's just it makes Sinister do what he wants to do. And it's I think it's I think it's like if you're playing Sinister, I think you kind of have to take it just to make him do what he wants to do and feel effective. That's just my thoughts, though. Well, does that mean then that we're the kind of the, the corollary of that is that we're kind of a bit down on Sinister? Because I mean, he's got one affiliation. So let's talk about him in Cabal. Yeah, there's been a lot of people experimenting with something like a, a con- Cabal Control, something like Red Skull, Modok, Enchantress, Sinister, something of that ilk. Maybe you drop Enchantress, maybe you drop Modok. You know, turning on threat values. None of those characters like having a damage on them, and is taking a damage on those kinds of characters worth getting the um, getting the the sample tokens on him? Maybe it feels like, in fact, what he really wants is some cheap, expendable characters. I mean, I guess Bob, when Bob comes out, he's going to be a great person to take some samples off because then he gets dazed and then he gets killed, apart from he doesn't get killed. And, and Bob doesn't care if he's got a damage on him and he's two threat anyway, so who cares? And if you're, they're targeting Bob, they're not targeting one of your characters that's actually impacting the game a bit more. I mean, apart from a nine dash attack, which is fine. Um, so maybe that changes a bit when they've got a cheap in affiliation. But mm-hmm. the other obvious place which can kind of counter this is Asgard. But Asgard is so already super tight for tactics cards because they so often want to take two affiliated, unlike a lot of affiliations, which can happily just run one. Yeah. So even the, the kind of the, the natural synergy is like, well, have I got space for this tactics card? And therefore, if we're saying this is what it really takes to turn Sinister on and kind of like... A little bit like uh, Killmonger and Usurp the Throne. Like that's like if you take Killmonger, you probably take Usurp the Throne like eighty percent of the time. I think is what the stats say. Is it similar then for Sinister with this card? And in which case is he just not going to see as much play? It's my concern with it. I I honestly think that's the I think that's the case though. Like I I think it's going to come down to you're going to pick Sinister for your roster, and you're going to look at. Do I want Force Extraction? Yes, I really do, but I don't want to get rid of these other cards. I guess I'm not playing Sinister. Or it's going to be, I want to play with this new toy, so I'm going to force it in here anyways. Um, yeah, and then I mean, you're going to feel super underwhelmed by not playing Force Extraction. Like, I just, I I don't know. Like To me, it's it makes him playable. Without it, he just feels super underwhelming to, like, round four. The tricky bit with it. Uh, can be that it only affects people in range three, so within six inches of them. Uh, so you need yep. to be playing a scenario where you don't need to spread out your forces, because you have to have Mister Sinister with three guys within six inches of them. So yep. if you're on like a uh, B scenario, like Infinity Formula, he's probably only got the guys that you're sending to the same Infinity side as him near him. Okay, how, how about this then? How about we put them in Guardians? Hmm. So that you've got three re-rolls on his genetic splicing beam for five dice attack, which um, gets him more genetic sample tokens. Um, if So you can, winging it onto that, that's a decent shot for winging it. He's got nine, he- with nine health and a bunch of defensive re-rolls from winging it, he's going to be a real pain to shift. Uh, and he's going to have a load of, you know, you can go quite wide with Guardians because of their uh, cheap affiliation and uh, mm. 
then you've got options there. So maybe maybe that's a little home for him. But even that, I mean, I'm not like, oh, this is super cool. I'm going to run out and play this right now. Yeah, I mean, it's if you're trying to make well, the character I wanna, work. I want to come back to that Guardian's thought after we talk about his second card, um, which do I think we're good to talk about that one. Um, cloning banks. I see a lot of people talking about cloning banks. And I think I think Jacob and I have the same exact thoughts on this card, is that it's cute and it's gimmicky. Um, from a competitive aspect, I think it's gonna lock you into plays that you like it makes it makes you have to play a certain way with Sinister that makes him seem completely underwhelming in my opinion because you're forcing him to play a certain play style instead of just going out and like i can soak three damage without even worrying about it because you're trying to get those things turned in um, it makes you change your play style with sinister to a not so aggressive way um and you can't really do anything with them because you're besides let me try and get more tokens um so it is i don't know to me every time i've played around with it and like theory did and all that it's just he definitely seems more of a threat on the table when you're not trying to go for cloning banks and i know jacob has some numbers as far as like why him by himself without cloning banks is better than with cloning banks because he's told me this and i it's i think it's the biggest selling point for not taking cloning banks uh the whole health thing yeah um so my big issue with this card is the cost of the card and the cost is is significant so there's no power cost to play it which is good so you might but the issue you've got is it's the cost that sinister's taking resources from him sploosh loves talking about the different resources in the game and clearly it's really obvious with sinister he's got this extra resource in sample tokens not only have you got the cost of all the sample tokens, which you're you're going to be committing him forward to try and get um, three tokens a turn, which you can then funnel in. Uh, you're also going to be trying to uh, you're also going to be um, trying to get off your genetic yeah genetic splicing that that beam four. So it's decent range, but you're going to be trying to get lots of people in it. And typically, the way people space out, you're going to have someone who's like just outside of two, and then you'll be clipping someone who's at range four in order to get to try and maximize your beam. But that means you're standing right next to someone and they're going to be attacking you back. And we've spoken before on the podcast about the value of health of stamina. The the best defense is a massive stamina pool. I mean, to, to a certain extent, I mean, Hulk is, is a slightly different case where he's got this massive pool of crummy defenses and he does go down, but you have to really devote resources to take Hulk down. It's not like he just falls over. What I'm trying to say is, You've got the t cost of a tactics card. You've got the cost of a bunch of, if you're putting, um, let's say you want to get a threat three character out there, you're having to put six uh, genetic splicing tokens. That's six damage on Sinister in order to pull in this other character. And maybe you can do that at the, with the if you're using genetic splicing as well in order to, to do that, then you're costing you two tactics cards. So you've paid two tactics cards and then you've got to commit your sinister up uh, up and uh, be able to not have him not have him dazed because he can't be affected by special rules when he's dazed. So you can't move genetic sample tokens off him if he's dazed because you can't you just can't interact with it. So you need to put him in this really weird position where he's 
up but protected so you're really then building your team around it okay well i'm going to put bodyguards in there i'm going to put people in to teleport him back i'm going to maybe take another tactics card or i'm going to play spider um uh, ghost spider uh or i'm going to play like escort safety in order to pull him back and you're just crafting your whole team around it and even then i'm not sure it wins you the game okay you've got an extra three threat character but the cost of that has been really big um so all in all it's I love this card. I think it's a great card, and I can't wait to play it in a friendly game and have my synergy going, ah, ha, 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 and bring in someone really cool and do lots of fun stuff. I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose that game, though. Yeah, I, I just want to say real quick, like, I love this card. Like, I think it's super cool, and I want to play Sinister so bad just to play with this card. And um, I will say my, my two favorite options to play with this card are going to be Baron Zemo and Wan. Because either you can go, this game isn't going so well for me. My people are taking a lot of damage. I'm going to bring one in with three power. Oh, here's some health. Like, let me get you some health. You're good to go now. Or if I'm doing really good and I bring out Baron Zemo and I just ramp up my offense even more. Um, and there's plenty of other examples. But those are probably my two favorite characters to bring in uh, for this Colony Banks. Or you could even bring in Miles. Like, say you're like trying to have a big swing turn. You bring in Miles, three power. He can go through and... Um, do uh, an extract steal. Uh, yeah, so Venom Blast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Venom Blast. I couldn't think of the name. So it's like there's a lot of really cool options with it, and it's a really cool card. But uh, if you're playing in a competitive aspect, I, I personally don't think it's worth the the struggle that is going to be involved with it. Uh, Leaf, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah. The big issue is the tactics card task or tax because to play it in a timely fashion you probably have to take forced extraction as well so now you're looking at investing two tactics cards pretty much just into this because your forced extraction tokens are no longer doing other things for sinister they're now just giving him samples to put in his cloning bank uh but if you do that you could pretty much guarantee a two pound uh two pointer at the end of round two because you can get three locked away turn one and then turn two, he just has to fish for one sample. Which seems doable. Uh, his power economy is also a little iffy. If you don't have another way to get him power, turn one, he'll have spent his first power on the forced extraction. And turn two, he'll just have one power to try one beam. So if that one beam comes up empty, cloning banks are still going to be empty. However, um, I think it's going to be uh, tons of fun. I just played it on that once. leaf. You, yeah. you don't need to deal damage to get oh, the token. Not. Yeah, it's all it true. Oh, all right. That is true. I should look at the card that I have in front of me <laughs> instead of uh, just thinking what it says. That's cool. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that's a mistake other people have made. There's so many mm -hmm. effects in this game which trigger on damage, uh, but this one doesn't, which is which is that nice. Is good. That uh, is, I, yeah. I suspect that was playtested and they probably felt it was a little bit too weak if it didn't in order to like motivate and, and like amp up his kit. Yeah, in that case, you're pretty much guaranteed to get uh, So long as you're not dazed. Yes. And your chance of being dazed has gone up hugely because you've got no sample tokens. And then if they start attacking you and you want to stop yourself from getting dazed, what do you do? You spend those sample tokens and now you're not getting your um, you're not getting your, your person coming in. And they're kind of those two tactics cards you've spent are getting you nothing until round three and then maybe even round four. 
So, hmm. yeah, I, uh, I, pl- I've only played it once and that was pre errata. And that just makes me glad that they errated it. <laughs> uh, do you want to just quickly, in case people haven't heard, what was the errata? Uh, the errata is that cloning banks uh, does not benefit from the round down that everything else in Crisis Protocol does. So you need a full four tokens to bring in a uh, two threat character. You can't do it with just three. Because otherwise, like a, that, that, that is pretty good. That just was, beginning, that of, beginning of turn two, just. Yeah, that that seems a lot better, and there's no counterplay to that. No, there is and, no counterplay. Uh, well, I did it once. You can I did daze force him. extraction, cloning banks, and it was just well. Yeah. I think uh, again. So yeah, I mean, I, it's a shame. I, I really like this character. Um, I, I will play with these cards, yeah. but not in a competitive setting. The, yeah. <laughs> the threat range on his beam is pretty impressive, at least. Uh, like between his walk, like his walk and beam range. Uh, is 15 inches, which is no slouch. So he can definitely get places and do things, but at four points, you need a lot out of the character or four threats. Yeah, and without those, um, without those tokens, his defenses don't stack up great. He's a three-three. He's kind of human average. He's got six health, which is which is nice. But yeah, he he has two economies to make. Uh, to manage at once, which is kind of the thing. He does not have great power generation. Yeah. So he needs to either be in Cabal, uh, A-Force, Brotherhood, somebody who's feeding him some power, uh, or he's going to have to manage that on top of his uh, sample economy as well. Yeah, and um, even Avengers doesn't help. He does have a power that can benefit from it, but which is a great power. It's like the um, such fun little play things, the Battle of Modoc type effect. Yeah. Um, which is is great to pay one for that, but he, you're right, he's going to be power starved. The, the range three on the strike helps, but that's not the attack you're going to want to be using because you're going to want to get his economy going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think anytime if you have a choice between strike and splicing, it's probably going to be like unless you are capped on tokens and don't have a way to spend them. Oh man, I don't know. That's really tough. If you're on I one know. power, and you're like, okay. I can strike and get a power, and then I can move someone off a point. Or I can spend that power, have no power, and have an extra health. That's a tough call, and that's going to be highly situation-dependent. Well, I, I, yeah. I think that if it... I don't know. I think if you are down to, like, I have maxed out tokens, it's just you're just going to toss a root out. Like, that's, that's what you're going to do. As long as you have power. Yep. Is it the root uh, handing root out... Uh, nope. Handing root out requires one power. Oh, okay. And, and, a, to- right and a token. And a token, yeah. So that's hitting both I mean, of your economies. Bad, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, root's a great, a great status. Yeah, it's nice to see more root as well. Yeah, like, between Carnage, Sinister, and Groot now are the three that are going to be able to do it? Yeah, they are the three. I do believe so. It uh it changes the dynamic a lot. It's like having Loki nearby, but you can't walk away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh so Jacob, uh what do you have for us this week for Xavier Protocols? So I've been um playing around with Brotherhood a bit and looking at uh 
Quicksilver's tactics cards, the, the can I borrow this? And just looking at what are the chances of him actually getting it off? So around some simple numbers, what if you've got, you're using his uh, four dice builder into a, a three defense character. So vanilla three, nothing, nothing fancy. And just using his standard, uh, standard builder, you've got a 62% chance of doing a damage. And I've seen people looking at this card and thinking, okay, this is going to be some strong counterplay because I'm going to be able to go and grab that extract. And maybe it's one of the two, two VP extracts. Uh, and maybe I'm going to try and leverage that round to, to swing the game around my way. And do you want to bank on a 62% to do that? And I'd suggest you probably don't, in which case, uh, and it gets even worse if they've got four physical defense, then you're looking at 52%. So it's pretty much 50-50 using his, his builder. But if you use his spender, which is six dice, then it does go up significantly. So it goes up to 81% into three defense and 74% into four defense. So my takeaway point, if you've just gone number blind for a second there, is if you're going to run that kind of play with him, then you want to wait until you've got at least four power and probably six power in order to then also like move in without a token and then you get to attack and then you get to move away long unless it's one of the ones that makes you move short or whatever. But still, you get to move away and you get to put distance in there. So if you're wanting to, if you're wanting to run that card and you're wanting to run this kind of play, I think you really want to either wait until he's dazed and he's got a bunch of power on him or uh, have a way of getting loads of power on him. So, you know, there's the, we talked last week about affiliations that he's good in and they all have ways of helping with his power. I think Inhumans in particular stands out and I think that's probably his best home with this card. So this week, we're going to be going into some real interesting stuff. Um, so... I would like Leaf to answer one question, and that is, why is measuring so important in this game? Uh, well, like all minis games, uh, where you are on the table affects what you can do. And if you know where you are on the table and how far things are away from you, then you know what you can do. Because uh, sometimes just being an eighth of an inch short can be the game. Uh, and so knowing ahead of time and being able to figure things out uh, lets you, uh, you don't have to commit uh, moves ahead without like on the maybes. So what you mean by that is, you know, you don't have to, I'm going to medium move up and then see if I'm in range kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Right. Like if you can measure out and be like a double move is going to get me in range then you don't have to be like I will move and then hopefully my second move gets me there because if you know it's like if you know you're in range you just go for it if you know you're not you start coming up with a second plan because that first move is probably wasted if you can't execute it uh, the double move plan right if it's like I'm going to double move to that back objective uh, mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. it turns out you're half an inch short if you did that first move and then find it out, well, now you've probably wasted your whole activation. Whereas you could have maybe been turned around and been like, well, maybe I can fight somebody, uh, take a w walk over to this other objective and try to one shot, get lucky in one shot and uh, clear them out there. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember when one of my first interactions with you was you explaining some of the the things we're going to talk about now. And I was just like, oh, my God, this just completely opened my eyes. So I'm kind of excited for a bit of community reaction to some of the things you're going to be talking about. Um, So with that in mind, do you want to talk about some of the maths? I'm I'm a maths guy. Do you want to talk about some of the maths behind the measurements? Um, And then we'll go into some some specific things people can use. But let's, let's do a bit of background on this. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, as I'm sure all of you know, it is the will of the wills uh, that we play MCP with just a limited degree of pre-measuring. And a lot of the times, that's fine. But you only get to use one range stick and one movement stick. Uh, Which means there's only uh, five and three. So, in some ways, eight different things you can measure. But not quite, because you can combine them which creates a whole new realm of possibilities. Uh, So when you do that, like, for example, take our uh, double move, right? Like, say you wanted, you're like, I got Valkyrie. If I, can I double move to that point, uh, throw you off and be in the clear? Well, a medium move is five inches. Valkyrie's base is one and three eighths. So she moves six and three eighths each time. Do that twice. You're at 12 and three quarters. You have one inch to your interact. So 13 and three quarters. If she's within that, you know, you're fine. Uh, So normally you'd be like, well, I can't use a tape measure. I guess I'm just out of luck. I got to, you know, eyeball and hope I know 13 and three quarters. Uh, But there is... There are hacks around that. Uh, so, for example, the short movement tool is three and a quarter inches. You put that on one side uh, on your character. You put a range five on the objective. Range five is 10 inches. That's 13 and a quarter. You now know you now only have to eyeball half an inch rather than 13 and three quarters. So at that point, you have a much better guess as to whether or not it's possible. So the first step to doing this uh, is to know how big all the things are. The range one template is the width of all the templates. It is one inch. Range two is three inches. A range three is six, a range four is eight, and a range five is 10. Uh, our bases come in three sizes. They are one and three eighths for a small base, two inches for a medium, uh, and about two and a half for a large. Uh, just a, a little word of warning for people yes. who are going to be taking this on. The, the 50 mil base is just a hair under two inches. That is correct. It is about um, 0.8 millimeters short. Yeah. So 0.8 millimeters is pretty small, but when you're some of the precision of measurement that comes in here, it's that 0.8 millimeters can be really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for the most part, with most of these tricks, I would say like, if you set it down, if you do some equivalency, uh, set something down, and you're like, this is exactly there, maybe think twice, because you might not be exactly there. Uh, But if you're like, oh, no, I'm there, and I've got, you know, I got some overlap, then you should be good. Uh, The short... The movement templates are actually interesting. 
uh, because they have indented parts, uh, and they are about three and a quarter for the short, five inches for the medium, and seven and a quarter for the long. And yeah, combining them together, you can measure all sorts of things that you couldn't before. Uh, a lot of it is trying to uh, insert bases into things. If you're trying to move and do, uh, trying to measure out how far it would be to move and then attack someone. The two inch bases are really nice for this. Uh, I play a lot of Thanos. Uh, and so his punch is just range two. So an example of this would be, you're like, well, can Thanos get over there and punch that guy? Well, he moves a medium, so five inches, plus two inches for his base, and then three inches for his punch. That's ten inches, which is, we have a stick for that. It's the range five stick. So if you're in a range five stick at Thanos, odds are he can walk over and punch you. Uh, same thing with Corvus. That's also his strike range. Yep. And that, that two-inch move is just so useful, so many things. It is. Because, yeah, like anyone with a longer attack, like on Doctor Strange, uh, he's got a range four attack. So you can just uh, add the two inches onto the range template and use a five template on your movement stick. And so... Doctor Strange can move medium, uh, two inch base, uh, plus eight inch range, is the same as a medium and a range five template. Yeah, well, Magneto is another great example. If you want to get that yeah. range three and hook someone in, then uh, short move, two inch base, range three. That's a short move and a range four stick. Mm -hmm. It is indeed. Uh, actually, is there a quick hack on that? Three, quite. Oh, actually, there is. Yeah, uh, and even Magneto's uh, longer attack, because it's one of the tricky things is the three-inch things you can't jump up, because you go from there's no five-inch or the five-inch I guess is a movement stick. Mm -hmm. uh, so Magneto, if you want to find out if he can move and be in two inches of range, uh, you could use instead of the short movement tool. We know the long movement tool is four inches longer than that. So you can use a yeah. long movement plus a one inch template to see if Magneto mm -hmm. is within a move and uh, range two. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. One of the ones which I found most useful here is uh, dropping, when people drop extract tokens. Do you want to talk through that, Leaf? Yeah. Uh, so whenever you drop an extract token, you get to place it within range two. So that's three inches. Uh, your tokens are all one inch across. So that brings you up to four inches, and you can interact with them within an inch. So at that point, you're at five inches, which is to say a medium movement template. So if you're inside a medium movement template of somebody, you can pick something up if they drop it. Uh, it's the same... Same thing for judging where uh, things move on the table. Like if you're playing the new uh, researcher extract, uh, Jacob and I just played a <laughs> great game yesterday yep. uh, in the one day 
that in the end of it, uh, came down to he won uh, because I turned one. Was it turn one or turn two? I secured the researcher. Uh, turn two. I, mean, it was I think it was turn, turn two. Yeah. 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 I secured the researcher. Uh, but Jacob was playing a lot of Brotherhood of Murder. Uh, and I did not want to move deeper into that. So I pulled the objective back uh, further to my side. Because I'm like, if I move it in there, you're just going to kill kill my guys and score it. If I move it back here, I think I score it for another turn. So I moved it back. Uh, and foolishly uh, did not measure how far I moved it back. Uh, and so later on when Jacob scored it, or was securing it, he got to measure, and it turns out I'd put it just within uh, an eighth of an inch of being able to drop it right back on my research lab for him to score the bonus points. Yeah, so the so, top tip there is when you're using your, if you are moving it, back, the researcher back towards you, towards your opponent's um, like hideout or whatever it's called, um, use the, the two tool to place the token, but also put a medium move tool on the hideout and make sure that those two aren't touching. Yeah, make sure you are out of that. Yeah. Because if you're out of that, then they can't one round it back to you. Yes, yeah, not a mistake I think either of us will make again. No. That is... Yeah. <laughs> That is the upside to uh, to mistakes. Is you learn things that stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're when you're doing this leaf, when you're playing a game, how much of this pre measurement? How how long do you reckon it takes you to do all this? Ah, uh, a lot less than when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> so I first started doing this sort of partway through season four uh i just convert things into you know convert everything's into the numbers figure out you know like what is the closest equivalent and check with that uh but it's got to the point where i've kind of just got all the numbers memorized now Mm -hmm. uh and so it's now pretty quick uh right like if i'm looking to come up with a scenario would be like, well, it's that template and that, and then a couple bases. Uh, and yeah, and that works out to be the same as, or close enough to if you do this. Um, what's kind of been the reaction of your opponents when you do these uh, sort of calculated measurements? Have you had much uh, feedback from them about what they think about it? Um, they usually think it's pretty yeah most of the thought of who've commented have been like and asked it's been like what are you doing because i'll be like uh i'm just gonna you know stick a short movement template over here and arrange three over here uh because that by the way is uh valkyrie's charge range uh charge base range two uh medium base yeah. yeah charge on range two uh because that's Five inches plus one and three eighths plus another three uh, puts you at eight and or no, wait a moment no nine there we go nine and three eighths uh, which is nine and a quarter is close enough so 
Yeah, or I will measure things that are way far across the table because uh, Valkyrie's move and then charge range uh, is pretty much, yeah, like you said, a range five plus a short template. So when you're, you know, you're, I got a, I got Valkyrie, I'm going to stick this short template on her and put this range five on your guy way over there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, those touch, I'm in. <laughs> uh, so usually a little like, what are you doing? Followed by, oh, that's actually useful. Uh, but yeah, so the process is pretty much you just convert it all to numbers and then use the numbers to find the answer. <clears throat> and how much of an impact do you think this has on your game? Ah, uh, a fair bit, actually. It's one of those things where being able to know ahead of time, right? Because uh, take Thanos, for example, right? He can cosmic portal something uh, that is eight inches away from him. So his walk cosmic portal is 15 inches, which is a medium and a range five. Just knowing whether if you walk, you'll be able to jump somebody off a point or not can be huge. Yeah. Uh, this is a game that often comes down to very, uh, very tiny margins. Right, you'll find where you're walking, and it's like I'm sure pretty much everyone's had a point where they've walked and been like, "Oh no, I am out by less than." I can see just the tiniest bit of space between that range three template and you, so I guess I'm out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so the whole point of this is to just reduce how many times that happens. So what are like some like what probably what's what's your coolest trick would you say <laughs> like the or, not the coolest let's say let's say most impactful of things that somebody could pick up from you by practicing these methods what's the most impactful uh the two inch base thing is really big that uh yeah that's that's been the single biggest thing that's impacted my game for sure uh just because the fact that it's an even two inches means there's so much so many easy conversions you can do mm -hmm. uh, to pre-measure things for them. Uh, so, for example, let's take Thanos, right? Uh, his double walk and punch range uh, is 14 inches to double move and then another 3 inches to punch. So that is uh, a quarter inch less than a range five plus a long movement. Can you stop giving Black Order players help, please? They're, it's already <laughs> really good. Stop helping them. I could just insert She-Hulk's name in there if you like. Yes, please. Can we talk about She-Hulk next time? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and the like, and double move to get on a point with uh, She-Hulk. Uh, is 15 inches, which is range 5 and a medium move template. So, like, if I double move, will I get to that point? Well, it's 15 inches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 5-inch the medium move and the fact that medium is the most common move size, again, that, uh, that that's quite big. Just, again, you've got a nice round number to work with there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh Knowing the uh, the positioning for extract drops is also a big thing. 
just because if you're trying to get extracts off people knowing how much space you have to spare right like if you have a range three attack uh and you do it from yeah. max range you're going to be out yeah but if you go I too think... close you're probably closer than you needed to be yeah although that's difficult because when you're moving to position you're using a movement template in order yes. to move and therefore you can't use it to check that you're at exactly the right range from the character that you want to be at it is true sometimes you just gotta look and kind of remember round about a point on the table for sure that's that's what uh, i was yeah yeah you, the... you, you measure the five and you go okay it's just a little bit up and to the left of the the corner of that dumpster okay that's, that's what i'm aiming for and um i tend to err on the side of being in rather than trying to maximize my distance if you're talking about like half an inch i'd rather be half an inch in than half an inch out yeah agreed um another another cool one that comes up on occasion uh is uh toads hop and incinerate range so that's on his spit acid attack which yep. is range two yep so he hops three inches plus a base which is one and three eighths plus another three inches so that puts him at seven and three eighths which is just a touch more than a long move template so if you're in a long move template of Toad, uh, he can just hop over and incinerate you. Uh, sorry, uh, oh, three, sorry I, I misheard. You said there's three inches, so range two for the hop. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess same with if you're using Viper to get in there and using your displacement ring, the range would be the same. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, on, me, I want one more. One more uh, really good one that you use. Uh, you used a couple of times, maybe, and it's really made a difference. Uh, how about uh, something like? Is there anything fun that you can do with bodyguard or like? That's just easy, isn't it? Because you move them or stick out range too. That's not a difficult one to measure. Yeah. Um, what about a? I guess all of those move and uh, be within range two. That like Valkyrie charge range one is also a Koye's move, but the move and be in bodyguard range. Yes, it is. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah, the same. The, yeah. The uh, range six in a short template comes in handy a bunch. Yeah. Almost all those bodyguards are small bases and medium moves. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the more you look at this, the more you'll see the same numbers coming up because it's like, oh, this combination of stuff is is the same as this. It's just it's not an attack. It's because I want to have this superpower or I want to mm-hmm. get inside, get get Loki inside a bubble. Is that can I get that character in a Loki bubble and make them have to move out of it? Again, there's going to be there's going to be a combination for that. Yeah. Well, uh, right. Loki is five inches plus one and three eighths. Uh, his bubble is range four, I believe. Yep. So that's 14 and three eighths, uh, which sadly uh, puts you in the dead zone. There's... Well, I mean, 14 and three eighths, what you do is you do a, yeah. a medium move and a range five, don't you? And then you just you take do. a bit off. And, yeah, take off a little it. more than half an inch. Yep. I guess that's worth saying. Even if you don't have a precise analog that you can do, you, I still stick movement sticks down to give me a rough idea. Because if there's like a giant gap between um, between them, then I'm going to be like, well, that's not going to. Yeah. They have to. They have to at least be overlapping for that to be in. 
And if they're not overlapping, that tells me it's out without having to think about it any harder. Yeah, it's much easier to eyeball when you get down to like the the difference is now going to be less than an inch. Yeah. You're going to have to eyeball rather than eyeballing a 15 inch or uh, 14 and three eighths spread on the table. And you've got a frame of reference for an inch because the width of the range template is an inch. So you've got, you can like kind of eyeball that really well because you've got a, a reference point right next to it. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, what's the what's the width of a movement stick? Oh, I had this at one point. Um, where is it? They are, I think, about uh, five eighths. Five eighths. Okay, that's useful. Yeah. Which is actually exactly how far out uh, Loki would be, because it's fourteen and three eighths. So you'd be five eighths less than. If yeah. So I yeah, guess so you could put the five on Loki, put the movement stick next to it, move the five, move the five back, and then put the movement stick somewhere else. So you yeah. could do it. There's there is a, there is kind of a janky workaround there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, one more. Wouldn't it be really useful if there was something that was exactly four inches long? That'd be great. Oh, there is. Uh <laughs> So this is uh, this is the thing a lot of people don't know uh, because I don't think anybody else has really measured this. If you take the long movement tool and bend it ninety degrees, it's now a four inch ruler, which you can then combine because it's a movement tool. You can combine it with any of your other easy known inches. Yes. Um, so you can easily measure fourteen inches, for example, yep. if you needed to do that. Which I yep. guess is another way around of Loki. You can measure fourteen inches and see how close okay. that is to. To that, uh, to that situation. Yeah, uh, the medium template is not too useful when it bends. It is a hair shy of three inches, which you've already got a handy reference for. The short one uh, becomes about two inches, pretty much bang on two inches. No, that's that's useful as well, I guess. So you got two yeah. inches for short, four inches for long. Once you bend it, and that's including the the sort of round nub bit yes, in the that, middle. Yeah. yeah, that is. Yeah, that's from where it meets your model to the end of the round bit. And when you're doing these measurements, you're doing it from the tines or like the, um, uh, uh, the apogee for movement templates. Uh, oh, that one is actually from the tines, I believe. Uh, so movement templates are weird because they both have the tines, and I don't know if you've actually looked closely at them, but they actually uh, indent a bit, and the bottom is actually thinner than the top by a couple millimeters. So. I don't know that it's tournament legal, but you could, in theory, flip all your movement templates upside down and get uh, an extra two or three millimeters out of movement out of them. Wait, what? (laughs) If you look at the end of a movement template, it angles. So it's like So if you measure along the top of a movement template, it is two millimeters longer than if you measure along the bottom. Oh, it's beveled that way? Yeah. Huh. I don't. I don't think so, the bills would agree with this. <laughs> I don't think they would either. Uh, there's okay. not a function on. I don't think they've implemented on TTS where you can uh, flip the range ruler upside down. And you know, oh, you get... can definitely flip the range ruler upside down. I don't think there's anything in the rules that prohibit it. Um, if that feels like we're. I mean, that my feels final like question... a weird space to me. I, yeah, I feel my... like you're using the tool not as intended. Yes. <laughs> 
that, that, that feels to me like something that should probably be, you know, just ruled on at some point or well, uh, a little addition. Wills, made. if you are listening, uh, we got something for your erratas. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're even beveled in TTS as well. Look at that. That's because they're directly. <laughs> yeah, sure. I just thought they might have just square ended them. I thought they might have just like done a top down and projected down, but no, they've done a proper a proper scan of it. Cool. Um, so that's very interesting. Uh, one final question then on this topic: Do you feel that this is a fair use? Is a question maybe some of our listeners might be thinking. Do you think it's a fair advantage to have in the game? I think so. This is something that's available to everyone. It's not like I've, you know, or, you know, you can go out and get, you know, like the special set of extra tools that, you know, like if you buy these, you can measure all these extra things. It's like, no, these are the same tools available to everyone. It's just how much you use it. It's the same as, you know, uh, to me, it's the same as doing some dice math before you go in to make an attack to know if it's worth doing or not. Because... A five die strike into a Koye as uh, martial artist with a reroll is often going to come up with nothing. And maybe you should just do something else because of that. <laughs> uh, but if you don't know that, right, you might make the attack instead of trying to come up with another plan. So I don't know. To me, it's along the same line. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of things in. I mean, I. I... For the record, I, I think these are fine. Everything we've talked about is fine, apart from probably flipping over the... the <laughs> that's I'm, I'm that's not, a little I'm sketchy. Yeah. Um, but in any of these games, there's always uh, kind of a knowledge gap, and that knowledge gap isn't just about what things can do and how things interact. It can also be about how... Yeah, we talked about dice math. We talked, and I think I think oh, that's a very valid uh, analogy to draw. And it's just... This is another, I mean, we, we have in the, the opening credits, this is about leveling up your gameplay. And my this when I talked to you or when I got some of this from you months ago, this definitely leveled up my gameplay. So maybe go back and have a look at these. Um, get some models in front of you or get on TTS and like map out some of these things. And I think you'll quickly see the power of this listener. Um, so give it a try. All right, so uh, Leaf, if anybody wants to get a hold of you to ask any type of measuring question or just to pick your brain on this topic, uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can feel free to measure me or message me. That's the end, definitely. Yeah, that's worth keeping. Uh, on any of the discords, I'm Suzume Kazo uh, with usually a uh, little Leaf in parentheses. And just just the record, how do you spell leaf? L E I F. Like a good Viking. <laughs> Not like a bit of a tree. No. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today. And honestly, I'm going to start. I, I've seen Sploosh and Jacob talking about this, and I just haven't had the time to commit to it. But I'm definitely interested in starting to measure things out more, I guess, efficiently. Um, it might save me some heartaches during a game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It definitely does. It gives you more information to make more informed decisions. Um, so try it if you haven't already. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. You can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. 
We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room. Simulation.